Now, we know that long-term care homes across the country have been a center of the COVID-19 outbreak. We have seen lots of outbreaks and fatalities here in British Columbia, tragically, in long-term care homes. The government yesterday uh, confirming another one, Maple Hill residence, which is adjacent to the Langley Memorial Hospital, has a positive test for a positive case of COVID-19 announced yesterday. That person is in self-isolation at that facility. I think a lot of these care homes have done a good job on bending down the curve of these COVID-19 infections. And a lot of people wondering, when will I be able to visit my loved one in a care home? This has been going on a long time where people are separated And I know that's an important issue to my next guest, Isabel McKenzie. She is British Columbia's independent advocate for seniors. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on. Do you think that uh, care homes in general have done a good job during this pandemic? I mean, we hear about another outbreak yesterday, a minor one, I guess you could describe it as. But do you think overall they've done pretty well? I think they have. When you look at the fact that about, I think it's well over 85% of care homes have had no outbreak. Uh, Some of the care homes that have had outbreaks have contained it to a single uh, staff member. One contained it to a single resident. Uh, There are a few where the outbreaks uh, galloped away from us and spread very quickly, and that can happen. But I think uh, overall in British Columbia, we've handled the COVID outbreak well, and that is also reflected in our long-term care sector. And I think that that is a testament to uh, all of the people, <clears throat> pardon me, involved in the sector. And it has certainly come at a sacrifice, a sacrifice on the part of the people living there, on their family members, and uh, certainly on the staff who are having to work in those care homes as well. But I think we now need to turn our attention to how do we live with this virus over the next year or 18 months? And what does that look like in in long-term care? And that is this issue around how are we going to allow family members to have meaningful connections with their loved ones? Right, right. I think that's so important. And I think the way you described it there, sacrifice, is, is a good way to describe it because this really has been a sacrifice for seniors and the people who love them in these in these homes and people are separated from their loved ones it's going on what four months now that a lot of people Close, have been yeah. separated yeah that's that's tough I, you must hear about this all the time I do. In the beginning, it wasn't what we heard about the most. I think in the beginning, everybody understood uh, the lockdown measures in our care homes that were going to be necessary. We've seen them before in the past with outbreaks of influenza, norovirus, etc. I think none of us quite uh, anticipated the length of time that these uh, visit restrictions would be in place. It's three months now, and, and as we head into July, we'll be getting into our fourth month. And I think it's now, as I say, we have to determine how we're going to live with this virus for the next year, possibly 18 months. And living with it, I don't believe, can mean no visits um, or the degree of restriction of visits right now for uh, the foreseeable future. Okay, let me uh, play a little clip here for you from Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer. And she agrees with you that it's important that we start making those connections again, but I guess it's a long time in coming for a lot of people. Now, here, here's Dr. Henry. Now, this was last month, okay? Now, this is Dr. Henry speaking in May about the possibility of visits starting up again in care homes. Here she is. 
Yeah, I do see that happening. And it will take us continuing to control the virus, both in the community and in our long-term care homes and in our hospital settings. And we have seen a decrease. Um, what, what the challenge, of course, becomes um, everybody wants to have their one. And so we need to make it in a way that is safe for the rest of the community. And that really what each of these, particularly in our long-term care homes, they're a community as well. So it has to be a way that allows uh, the that staff feel safe, that they can manage to support people to come in with their loved one and to provide that support to their loved one. So I know they are working on it. Okay, so they're working on it. That was uh, Bonnie Henry speaking last month. Here we are in June, and I guess a lot of people are, st are still waiting. Do you have any insight on when, on when these visits might be allowed again? Uh, well, I'm very hopeful that uh, we will hear news very shortly um, around what it's going to look like as we live with this virus. There's been an interesting study out of the Netherlands, and I think it's important to remember anything to do with COVID is a short-term study at the moment. Um, but they did it after, a two, after two months in the Netherlands of um, a lockdown on visits. They opened up visits, uh, and there was some encouraging evidence there that it did not, in the short term, lead to uh, any outbreaks. What was also interesting in that, Mike, was that 57% uh, of residents received a visitor, meaning 43% uh, of the residents had no visitors. And I think right. it's important, I, I think, for everybody, uh, the care home operators, the health officials, to recognize and understand what numbers we're really talking about. It's not like there is going to be a stampede of people now coming into our care homes. In the best of times, and I spend a lot of time uh, visiting care homes, and I've operated care homes in my previous uh, life, oh. and the places are not filled with visitors all day, all the time. Um, generally, there is a spouse or an adult child who is there quite often, and then every once in a while there'll be a family occasion when a, a group of people might come in. Now, we know that latter part isn't going to be happening. We know that. I think everybody accepts that. But it's that contact with that key person, some yes. of them visit every day. We've got to find a way to live with this virus, and we've got to find a way to have the confidence to um, allow these visits. And, you know, we've seen these recent outbreaks. It's just a reminder that we are going to continue to see uh, COVID and see outbreaks, and public health has been very clear about that. Um, this is how we're going to live with it how we're going to mitigate our risk. Um, there is no risk-free option, and that includes it's not risk-free to continue with these visit restrictions either because it will have a deleterious effect on the health and well-being of the people living there, perhaps equal to or greater than COVID. Right, and especially when we're, we're on three months now, and as you said, go, close to going on to four months that this has been happening, and for a lot of seniors who are in a, in a long-term care facility, that's starting to cut into a big chunk of uh, of the time that they have left. Really, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, what the when you take a, think about the average time that a, that a, a person might stay in a long term care home, um, three months, four months, that's taking up a big chunk of the time that that might be the average stay that someone might have in a care home, wouldn't it? it yes, and I think yeah. that's important to remember that I, the meet what we call the median length of stay. So fifty percent of the people more, fifty percent of the people left province-wide is about 500 days. Uh, in Vancouver Coastal, for example, it's only 300 and some days. It's less than a year. 50% uh, right. of the people are staying there. So we're talking about a third, 
moving into a quarter of their time there. And I think we need to understand the the risk and the, that more people have died, significantly more people have died in long-term care during COVID from things other than COVID. So again, we need to have perspective and rationality around um, the, the risk assessment. Uh, and there is no risk-free option. This is a difficult decision, and I do empathize with my colleagues who are wrestling with this right now. Isabel McKenzie, thank you for your time. We're out of time, I'm afraid. Thank you for uh, all the all the work you're doing. And I think you can hear from the people on the open line that uh, I think you're making a difference. And thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you okay. very much for the interest. You bet. Thank you. That is Isabel McKenzie. She's British Columbia's independent advocate for seniors. Let's talk to the Nanaimo nightclub owner who says he's getting ready to open his doors again. He says he's getting a lot of flack for it. His name is Sebastian Barkovich, and he's the owner of the Concept Nightclub in Nanaimo. How are you doing, Sebastian? I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, tell me about the uh, the Concept Nightclub. How long have you owned that? Oh, yeah. Somebody asked me yesterday, and I'm like trying to think back. Uh, I want to say 2016 or 2017, somewhere in the middle there. Okay, so a few years. And, um, a few has years, it been, yeah. Has it been a successful club for you there in Nanaimo? Well, honestly, I graduated university in 2016 or 2017, and the first thing I did right out of school was buy a nightclub. So... Uh, yeah, it, it was, it's uh, it's one of those things that it's been a lot of learning on the job and learning how to do things. And I guess even with this uh, new pandemic, it's uh, <laughs> just goes to basically how it started, which was on the job training. Yeah, you've been shut. Down. When did you shut down? So we got the order on uh, on St. Patrick's Day, March seventeenth. I believe that's when Dr. Bonnie Henry did um, all clubs and bars. So with that, oh, yes. three months today. Yeah, three months today. Three months today. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember that St. Patrick's Day. I mean, that that would have been, I'm sure, a busy night for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we have like uh, a few busy nights a year. Which one would be, of course, New Year's Eve. The other one would be Halloween. The other one would be Canada Day. The other one would be then St. Patrick's Day. And uh, there's a few others. We have like local uh, events here in Nanaimo, like the uh, bathtub race. Yes. Uh, that gets a pr- that's a pretty busy weekend as well. But yeah, it was. It's probably our second busiest night of the year. Okay, tell me about your plan to reopen and the reaction that you've been getting. Oh wow, two part question here. Okay, uh, so <laughs> I'll start with our Let's start, reopening. Start with the first part. Tell me about the plan to reopen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you'd have to see the layout of our nightclub, but uh, uh, starting, I'm actually just going to walk through so that I, I can get everything as we go here. Uh, but we have, uh, we have, we generally only use one door and then we, we filter people in and out that way. Now we're going to be opening both doors coming into the nightclub with a green arrow, uh, towards the coat check, um, and a orange arrow out back outside. So once you hit the coat check, part of our safety plan is that, uh, you have to you know, use hand sanitizer. Um, after you hit the coat check, you're more than welcome to use the ATM, which again is considered a self-serving station. So you have to, uh, uh, so we're, we're providing hand sanitizer. Um, you know, I'm trying to do this visually because it's kind of tough without actually what, what seeing the, the nightclub. Uh, what is the, the, the normal capacity of the club? Uh, 200. Right. And you're scaling that back to how many? 50, and that's uh, mandated. It doesn't, 
Uh, it doesn't matter if you can hold 1,000 or 100. Uh, all you can have in, inside right now is 50. 50, okay. So you're going back like 25% capacity of the place. And Now, what, what about this is, a, this is a dance club, right? You got a dance floor, right? So is, what That's about right. that? How's the dancing going to work? It's not going to work at all, actually. Uh, uh, we have about 100 square feet on the dance floor. Uh, so what I've done is I've contacted a fabrication shop in town to make two 8x3 tables, 8 feet in length, 3 in width, and then they're going to be separated by 8 feet uh, apart from each other, and that way uh, the dance floor will be cut off, but people still have a place to uh, maybe stand up if they want and sway back and forth. That's, uh, I think that's kind of the best we can do at this point. Okay, so kind of dancing sort of beside your in table your, beside your table yeah i there's no it's not going to be uh a mosh pit by any means okay okay and is this is this all like have you received approval to do this because i thought bonnie henry had said nightclubs were closed she did and then yeah she even said that it was she even said that it was phase four uh however yeah. last wednesday she came out with a new order and it said uh, that food or drink establishments, and the key word there is the or. Uh, and I was contacted by uh, an official at the liquor control branch giving me the okay, and our VHA, which is our our uh, our health representative, uh, yeah, the health our health authority. authority. Yeah, yeah, I know there's about five in BC, but our right. mine is uh, VHA. Right. Even they contacted me and said, uh, here's actually what you need to get done before you open, but... Uh, you have the approval. Okay. So how, what's been the rea- what kind of reaction have you got in the community? Right. So uh, that's interesting. So pre anyone, uh, uh, any of the, this publicity we received, it, it was probably 90% negative with uh, a lot of people with, uh, there was actually a lot of violent threats. So uh, there was this one person who said, you guys should go hang yourselves. And I think this is a little troubling, especially in the, these, uh, these times right now, because one of our owners is black. Myself and the other guy, I'm not black, but the other owner is. So it's like, do you really know who you're, you're talking to? Do you think that's really appropriate that you're saying that to somebody who, uh, who in the past has probably faced some sort of racial prejudice? I don't know. Um, probably not. I think that if they, they were able to see who they were talking to, they'd have a, uh, another choice of words. But... We've also been called the Idiots of the Year. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a ton of names we've been called, and it's been uh, outright unjust. But uh, we have had a lot of support as well. And I, I'd like to say the tide is turning. So uh, I've now talked to people uh, in, on Global News and Czech. And honestly, people, it turned around. We had a lot of private messages come in to uh, our Facebook and email saying, you know, sorry for all the hate. You know, we wish you guys best of luck. Uh, hopefully we can come out the first couple nights and, uh, even on my, on my people texting me, sending me personal Facebook messages saying, don't really want to get involved with the, uh, you know, with the, with the mob on Facebook and add fuel to the fire, but we're going to come support you. When are you planning to reopen? We were thinking, uh, Friday and Saturday, but actually we're just going to do it this Saturday instead. That way, if there's any issues, uh, we have six days to fix them instead of one. Okay, I'm speaking to Sebastian Barkovich. He is the owner of the Concept Nightclub in Nanaimo, planning to op- reopen this Saturday night. It sounds like, you know, Bonnie Henry has specifically mentioned dance dancing as kind of a, a no-go zone that 
dance clubs would not be allowed. Uh, but it sounds like it sounds like you're sort of transforming your your dancing uh, your the dance function in your nightclub into more of a pub atmosphere with with not music? pub but lounge. So lounge. when you think of pub traditionally, you're thinking of uh, pitchers of beer and some greasy food, right? So sure. lounges are more of somewhere to sit, somewhere to socialize. Uh, that's that's more for the atmosphere we're going for. Right, and you you would have a DJ playing music. That's correct, but it's also yeah. going to be a lot lower, probably half the volume, just mm. so that uh, just so that people aren't um, uh, compo- you know they don't feel uh, they, they have to dance. Um, we're also uh, discussing with the DJs a new sound list, a uh, new playlist, so that. Uh, Everything's a little bit more mellow, some more R and B, you know, Usher, Party Next Door, all of the um, all of the classics, I guess you could say, classic yeah. R and B. Why do you think you got such a, a pushback? Like, do you think maybe people thought you were you're opening up a full on dance dance like a nightclub with a crowded dance floor, and maybe that's why people were freaking out and getting angry? Absolutely, I think that's yeah. that's exactly what people thought when they saw that. Yeah. But think about anything that's reopened: grocery stores, uh, tattoo places. Uh, uh, hair salons. Tell me what exact. Tell me what's exactly the same as it was pre-COVID to post-COVID. I don't want to call it post-COVID because we're not over it, but you know, reopening anyway. So nothing is the same. You can't Costco. You have to wear a mask. Save on foods near me. They have plexiglass up. Um, tattoo places. Uh, same thing. There, there, there's so many protocols now that how could you think that we would do everything the exact same way as we were pre-covid right so nothing you, is the same right now yeah so you're, you're you're emphasizing that it won't be the same that you've taken the precautions right required. but yeah. that's what i'm trying to that's what i'm trying to illustrate here is that yes. people might have thought we were opening back up as a dance club or a nightclub but show me one thing that's open that's exactly the same as it was why why would we be why would we escape that why would we be trying to go back to the way it was instead of trying to adapt to modern times it seems like the there wasn't much thought put out when uh the criticisms happened. Yeah. How many uh, employees do you have? Uh, Pre-COVID, 30. 30. How many do you think you'll be bringing back? 10, maybe. Okay. Do you, are, are, maybe. You in, are you in danger? If you don't open up, or is your business in danger of going under? Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, I don't know. So you gotta, we, we made somewhere between 40 and 50 grand a month. Over three months, what's that? One hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars um, in loss. So you know, looking at rent bills, let's say rents ten thousand, uh, wages ten fifteen. You know, if uh, yeah, we just can't we can't sit around and pay this uh, premium rent and and various other bills like insurance we have uh, and just stay closed. It, okay. It's just too tough. Okay, now you mentioned that you got a lot of pushback and a lot of nasty reaction, uh, but also maybe turning the tide a little bit. So is it your determination at this point to open open on Saturday? You're full steam ahead here? or It was full steam ahead, even with the okay. criticisms. If I, you know, uh, if, if, if I listened to everyone, everyone said, everything everyone said, I don't think I would have ever bought the nightclub. I would have never done a lot of things I've done. Sometimes you just have to try, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and if it works, great. You know, you have to be your own biggest fan. All right, Sebastian, thanks for coming on. I'm following your uh, your story closely. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for doing this. All right, appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Okay, thank you. Sebastian Barkovich, he is the owner of the Concept Nightclub 
in Nanaimo getting set to reopen this Saturday night, despite a lot of flack and criticism that he got, although some support too. As we continued talking about the measures the government is taking to help businesses through the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the measures announced this week by the BC government, this is huge. This is huge for bars and restaurants. They will now be able to buy liquor at wholesale prices. This is something that this industry has been seeking for years. Like I'm, I'm talking, we're going back many years that this has been on the table. The government saying this week that they're now going to allow it and that restaurant, it will help restaurants and bars stay financially viable as they struggle, uh, through this pandemic. Let's check in now with, uh, Mark von Chelwitz. He's the Western Canada vice president for Restaurants Canada. Mark, thanks for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Pleasure to be here. What do you think of this announcement? I know you guys have been looking for this for years. I mean, this how big is this? Uh, it's pretty huge, Mike. Uh, as my friend Jeff from Abel said, this is a once-in-a-generation sort of liquor policy um, uh, implementation that uh, is historic, really. And uh, it, as you mentioned, it's something that we've been pushing for well, well over a decade now. And in our raise the bar liquor report cards, it's the one issue that has kept uh, British Columbia from getting above a C plus grade, and uh, you know so uh, it's something that is the right thing to do for the industry. It makes no sense that as a reseller of liquor, uh, that uh, uh, licensees have to purchase their liquor at full retail price and and then of course charge a, a higher markup uh, to their guests. So. Uh, it uh, also follows what other provinces are increasingly doing by offering that uh, hospitality price discount on liquor. So uh, certainly appreciate the government's effort and uh, Attorney General Eby in particular for his leadership in, in getting this across the finish line. Because as you know, Mike, we've been pushing through for this for the DTAP panel for the last couple of years, and yeah. we've been working before even COVID to, to make this happen. So uh, the timing is certainly right, with uh, 60% of our members saying that uh, they're re- open but operating at a loss uh, it couldn't come at a better time for the industry yeah i remember talking to you about this years ago like literally how this was an important objective for this sector and what was the rule before well this kicks in in july right it doesn't kick in immediately it starts in july correct july 20th july 20th okay what are the rules right now like so restaurants have to buy liquor they buy at the at the exact same price that cost the, the public would buy it at a liquor store Exactly, Mike. So, and, and that's where our members have been saying for years that that's unfair as a reseller. So we're a wholesale customer. Why do we have to purchase our liquor at full retail price? So, right. uh, this is something that uh, is very, very well received by the industry. And it'll certainly help with what's going to be a very long road to recovery through COVID-19. Okay. Why was that rule in place that you had to pay retail for liquor as a, as a restaurant? I mean, is that a typical? rule in other jurisdictions is that the way it's usually done elsewhere or was that kind of unique to bc how'd that work i guess historically i guess historically you know government wants to obviously get their liquor revenue and yeah. and uh, they did not sort of consider the hospitality industry as a reseller and 
but over the years, uh, I started in Alberta in the 1993, I believe it was, going to a full wholesale price model. And since then, we've seen other provinces increasingly come to the table. In fact, Yukon just recently announced a wholesale price as well, and Atlantic provinces are joining as well. So uh, this is something that not just for BC, but right across the country is something that we've been working towards for years. And uh, and now it comes at this uh, this time. It's uh, you know perhaps COVID nineteen was the catalyst to finally get this over the finish line. But uh, uh, you know, and it's just going to help uh, right now with uh, a lot of restaurateurs out there that are making that decision whether or not to open or not. Uh, right now, according to our latest member surveys, we've got about roughly a quarter of the industry that's reopened for on-premise dining, roughly 50% that's open for takeout and delivery. But we still have 25% of the industry that has not made that decision yet to reopen. And I certainly think that this can make the difference between uh, them deciding to reopen or not, because it makes a big difference. It's about a 20% cost savings for restaurants. Okay. How many, uh, is there a percentage of restaurants that have shut down completely and have gone out of business and shut their doors permanently? Yes, and we're not sure exactly in that 25 that have not reopened how many of them plan to, but certainly we know for a fact from a survey that we did back in March that uh, 10% of the industry was shut down uh, permanently and another 18%. So we're talking close to 30% of the industry that was not sure that they would be able to reopen. And and certainly not all of them are going to, depending on their circumstances. And as I said, Mike, through no fault of their own, they're they're faced with a situation that... uh, uh, is untenable because in our industry already when we're operating at full capacity it's a very competitive uh, low margin industry with average pre-tax profitability of uh, 4.3% so uh, so it makes it really really difficult with the restrictions in place to uh, to be able to operate profitably and uh, certainly this is uh, uh, one step towards uh, that long road to recovery that uh, uh, our industry is in Right. Speaking to Mark Von Schellwitz from Restaurants Canada, this is like a, a lifeline, I imagine, for restaurants, especially those ones who were right on the edge of maybe possibly going out of business, going bankrupt. Suddenly we get this from the government that you can buy liquor at wholesale prices now. Do you think this will save, like literally save some businesses from going out of business? Absolutely. And especially when you combine it with the other government supports. And I think we we certainly want to commend all levels of government for the supports that they put in place to help our industry, everything from the missile side to uh, opening up patios, provincial government with uh, a suite of uh, uh, things to help the industry, including the commercial rent protection was really important, and the federal government with their wage subsidy program and their uh, rent assistance program. So really appreciate that uh, eviction um, uh eviction, non-eviction, I guess, commercial rent protection that uh, Minister James announced a couple of weeks back as well. All of these things are important steps towards uh, ensuring our industry survives uh, COVID-19. Right. Now, let's talk a little bit about how this is going to work for for wholesale liquor. So what what did you say the savings was? It could be, what, 20%? Yeah, roughly 20%. Now, it depends on the category and the actual product involved, but uh, our calculation is that it's going to average out to a roughly 20% uh, cost savings on the Right. I saw one report of 25%, but I guess it depends. Does it depend on the product? 
Yes, exactly. It depends yeah. on the product category and, and things like that. So on some some products, you're going to maybe to save more than 20% and others less, but it'll average out at about 20%. So, uh, so that's pretty pretty substantial savings right. when uh, you consider the, the slim margins in our industry. Now, is it possible that consumers could see lower beer, wine, and spirit prices in restaurants as a result of this? Or do you anticipate that restaurant owners fighting to hang on and survive here that they will take sort of a profit taking on that i think a combination of both as you know as i've mentioned like it's a really competitive industry so some restaurants may choose to lower their prices as a competitive advantage versus their competitors Uh, others will certainly just reinvest that uh, savings into their business to ensure that they can at least break even uh, because it's tough out there right now Right. Mark Von Schellwitz is my guest from Restaurants Canada. And when this is implemented in July, the government has said that it will, it's temporary, like it will be reviewed after a while. Like I'm, I'm just wondering how temporary this is because I, I got a feeling this will be permanent. I'm sure that would be your, your preference, but is this a temporary measure? Is that, is that, is that how the government is framing this right now? Yes, they've, uh, they've framed it as a temporary measure and yeah. they want to certainly reevaluate it and how it's working. But uh, to your point, Mike, I know in a lot of other jurisdictions where this was brought in uh, initially as a pilot or as uh, uh, something that had a fixed time limit on it, in almost all those cases, they've maintained some sort of a hospitality price afterwards. And, and we expect to certainly the province of BC to, uh, to follow that trend and, and keep this in place for the long term because, uh, you know, as I mentioned, this is something long before COVID uh, was a big issue, and it will be, remain an issue after COVID. And uh, certainly, I think once it's in place, it's going to be really hard to tell the restaurant industry that uh, you no longer can can uh, get wholesale pricing for liquor. Uh, so I, I think it's uh, it's something that uh, has been identified as the number one issue for our members for, for so long that uh, I think it would be very difficult for any government to, to fully pull this back. Oh, yes. I mean, when I first heard about this and, and, and I heard it described as temporary, I was like, yeah, right. I, I think this is this will be here to stay because I, I can't see how any government could pull back on this after after it's in place. I, I think this is something that will likely likely be permanent. When, when you take a look at how restaurants are operating now under the under the restrictions that they have in terms of capacity, uh, the, the social distancing requirements, the, the cleaning requirements from WorkSafe BC, how are how are most restaurants coping under these under these rules? Like, are, are a lot of restaurants being able to make a go of it, or do you want to, do you guys want to see the rules reformed even more to allow more people in the restaurants? How is that working? Well, our latest survey just last week, what our members are telling us from that is that it's going to be a long road to recovery. And the combination, as you mentioned, of uh, having little to no income for a couple of months, the accumulated debt. Uh, the significant restart-up costs plus the restrictions has made it very difficult to uh, break even. We have 60% of our members saying that uh, uh, they're currently operating a loss in this reopening uh, because you have to factor in all those uh, those additional costs that have been on onto the industry. So it's going to be a long road to recovery and through a uh, uh, research done by the 15 group. They're estimating that the average restaurant, an 80-seat licensed restaurant, uh, their startup costs alone are about $46,000. And with the wage subsidy and with the rent subsidy in place, 
even with those in place, it's going to be uh, a long road to recovery, between 17 and 35 months. So uh, what we're saying is ongoing government support has to remain in place in order to keep this industry viable as British Columbia's third largest uh, employer. Mark, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. Okay, Mark Von Schelwitz, he is Vice President for Western Canada of Restaurants Canada, talking about the move by the government this week to allow restaurants to buy wholesale liquor. They had been required to pay retail price of the same price that you pay when you go to the liquor store. That's what the restaurants had to pay. They will now pay an average of 20% less for beer, wine, and spirits in restaurants. I think that will... I think I will literally help some restaurants from going out of business. I think it's a good move by the government. And as far as it being temporary, forget about it. I think that will be a permanent move. Because we continue talking about the BC restaurant sector struggling during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some good news from the government this week as they announced that restaurants will be allowed to buy liquor, beer, wine, and spirits at wholesale prices in British Columbia. I think that's going to help a lot of these restaurants hang on and survive let's check in now with miru dalwala she is an author chef and co-owner of the famous vidges restaurant in vancouver miru it's nice to have you on how are you i'm good thank you thank you very much for coming on what did you think about this announcement on uh, wholesale liquor um for restaurants is that going to help you guys at vidges oh it's going to help us immensely at vidges we've been hoping for this for quite some time now um my only little request to the government would be, can we please make this permanent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, think because, that, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Why do you think it should be permanent? Well, first of all, uh, you know, when running a restaurant, you know, everybody keeps talking about our razor thin margins. You know, that's like the big secret supposedly that came out. Um, just in reopening between, you know, pre COVID and post COVID, my labor cost ratio has so high because rightfully so we've got so many now safety regulations that we need to be staffed for and my food costs have gone high i mean like my meats have gone up vegetable everything has gone up and so we are now reopening at much less capacity with a two meter distance but our other fixed costs have already gone up and we haven't even been open for three weeks yet so um we need any source possible of savings or you know ways to make a little bit more money just to kind of band-aid even, um, you know, the losses that we're suffering. Yeah, for, for sure. And this is uh, something, like like you said, that restaurants have been seeking for years. I, I remember years ago talking to restaurants ab- about this, and it's amazing that it's come through. Maybe the pandemic kind of forced the government's hand, but I agree with you. I think this should be a permanent measure, and I have a feeling that it will be. I don't think there's a government would dare to kind of step back on this after so many restaurants are just hanging on by a thread here. So, you know, right now they're framing it as temporary, but I got a feeling that it will be a, a permanent measure. Do you, do you think that this will like help restaurants to survive? Like, I'm sure there are many that are just right on the right on the edge of going under. Maybe this helps them hang on. Yeah, I think I think it is going to um, help a lot of restaurants. I don't know in terms of you know making a profit, but I do think in terms of survival, it's going to be a big uh, deal for us. Um, and plus, you know, I've gotten the sense in the past three months, just being a citizen of Vancouver during the pandemic, that we've kind of let go a little bit, and we are allowing ourselves that extra drink to relax. And so if there's <laughs> one thing we feel safe in doing is opening up that bottle of wine or just, you know, enjoying drinking a little bit more, I think, this summer. I mean, you know, we're not traveling. Tourists aren't coming to Vancouver. 
And there's just something festive about it. So I do think people are going to be drinking a little bit more. I'm not talking about drinking and driving or getting drunk no. or anything like that. Right. But, um, you know, going from one glass to two glasses or, you know, going from a zero to one, it all, it, 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 it'll help make things a little bit more festive <laughs> and help our pockets. I think you're right. Everything in moderation, but I, I think you're right. I think I think people are uh, helping using that to help uh, get us through this. How are you guys doing at at Vidges here with the, with the reopening? So we have. I think it's been about two and a half weeks now since we've reopened. We just started lunch, and lunches people don't yet know that Vidges is open for our rooftop patio lunch. Weekends are great, and. Um, one thing we've realized with our customers is people are a little anxious right now heading back. They don't know, um, you know, should we be wearing masks? Should they be wearing masks? Should there be hand sanitizers everywhere? Should there not be sanitizers? What sort of ambiance do they want in the restaurant with all the regulations? So, you know, we're getting a lot of very good, I would say, critical feedback from our customers, but we have noticed that people are also nervous about eating out. So um, I think, as we restaurateurs also get more comfortable in terms of getting a fine, good, fun balance between safety regulations and what restaurants are supposed to be all about, I'm hoping that also customers, uh, you know, their anxieties ease up as well about eating out. Miro, you do a wonderful job at Vidges. Thank you very much for coming Thank on you and so talking much. today. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is Miro Dalwala. She is the co-owner of Vidge's Restaurant in Vancouver. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the wide world of sports now with my guest, Rob Williams. He's the sports editor at the Daily Hive. Rob, it's nice to talk to you again. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, it's kind of interesting that there seems to be a lot of sports news out there, even though sports are shut down largely. And so, there, I mean, there's lots to talk about here. So let's talk, first of all, about the NHL, which, of course, is uh, uh, top of mind for a lot of people. What is the latest on that, Rob, especially with Vancouver and the potential for Vancouver to be a hub city here? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're just kind of waiting for the NHL's decision at this point. I, I, one of the big stumbling blocks uh, for having um, Vancouver or Edmonton, Edmonton or Toronto, for that matter, to host games was Canada's uh, 14-day uh, quarantine rule, which is not uh, something that the United States has. So uh, that was the, the biggest stumbling block, I would say, uh, for having games in Canada, which is something that uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry has said that she's uh, open to having um, a different arrangement for, for the NHL. And, uh, and yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, echoed those thoughts. So uh, that's not going to be a stumbling block any longer uh, because, and, and I, I know a, a lot of people initially, when they hear that, get really upset because they're like, well, they're, they're, they're making different rules for millionaire hockey players. Right. Um, the fact of the matter is that the plan is to have NHL players uh, essentially separated from the rest of society in this big bubble. They'll be, all, they'll be in, uh, going from the hotel to the rink and, and kind of nothing more and being tested. Uh, Gary Bettman said they'll be tested every day. So I think... There, there's going to be a lot of precautions uh, in place, um, but it remains to be seen uh, whether it, it's Vancouver that gets chosen or there's, there's been some murmurs that Toronto might be a front runner now. So um, we should find out. I, I think we'll probably find out next week uh, would be my guess on, on, on who that, that second hub city is because it looks like Vegas is assured of, of one spot uh, at this moment. 
Okay, if Las Vegas looks like a lock, and I think a lot of people agree with you there, Rob, does that undercut in any way Vancouver's chances being another kind of western city? If if Vegas is already in there in the west, does that make it more difficult for Vancouver to get some of this action? Yeah, I want. I, I the NHL has said that 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 they're willing to take two cities from the same conference. I do okay. think it, it complicates matters, though, uh, just in terms of you're going to want to be playing games in the right time zone, I think. Uh, so right. you can play, you know, you, you can play your games at four o'clock here so that it's uh, seven o'clock on the east. But, you know, you're now going to be playing if you're playing multiple games in a day. Now that that first game has to be what, probably at noon or, or, or thereabouts. Uh, so I do think that that complicates things. Just hockey players are creatures of habit. They like to have their morning skate and then have their have their afternoon nap and then go play the game that night. So if you start tinkering with things too much in that way, I think that it does it it can pose complications. But at the same time, you know the biggest complication that the NHL could have is an outbreak among the players. Uh, and Vancouver and Edmonton is right there with them. Are, are the safest places to, to play right now? Right. If Vancouver does end up being a hub city for NHL return to play, would it be would it, would it be confined to Rogers Arena for events, or would some other uh, facilities in, in BC also see NHL games or practices? Yeah, the NHL is being clear that they they want all of their games on at, in NHL facilities, um, right. and, and now that's for games. So all the games would be at Rogers Arena. Uh, they would need practice facilities, though, so they would likely have, uh, I, I would say that the likely spots for that would be uh, UBC, which has uh, three rinks available, or or at eight rinks, uh, which has six rinks configured for hockey. Uh, th- th- that would that would make sense to me for, for practice ice. Okay, this is going to be interesting. So if let's say we get an announcement next week, what is the likely return to play and when would the playoffs start? This is going to be like a summer tournament for the Stanley Cup. Is that how that's this is going to work? Exactly. So yeah. the, the plan is to have uh, training camps start in July and uh, they haven't set dates yet for when the, the Stanley Cup tournament will begin. Uh, it's looking likely that that'll happen in early August. Uh, and then it's going to be a, a bit of a, it's a larger tournament than we're used to. We're used to 16 teams uh, battling it out for the Stanley Cup. They've increased it by eight teams. So there's going to be 24 teams uh, battling. Uh, and there's going to be a, a qualifying round, uh, which the Canucks are up against the Minnesota Wild. So right. that'll be a best of five series. And once they get the qualifying round down uh, done, It'll be essentially a a normal as normal as possible uh, Stanley Cup tournament, playing best of seven series and four rounds of the playoffs. So it'll be the same kind of grind to for the for the team that eventually eventually wins the Stanley Cup. Okay, speaking to Rob Williams from the Daily Hive, that's exciting about the NHL, and who knows, maybe we're going to have a big announcement next week. All the other major league teams are are in different states of kind of a return to play, Rob. What's the latest on Major League Baseball? I was reading about that the other day. Is there a, there a fight between uh, Major League Baseball and the Players Union, and is that is that creating a barrier for them to start playing again? 
Yeah, so Major League Baseball is in a trickier spot uh, than than the NHL and the NBA um, by virtue of the fact that their season had not yet begun. So in the NHL and the NBA, they've, they've, they've played most of their regular seasons and most of the money has already been delivered to the players. Teams have collected uh, ticket revenue and and so so most of the money is being secured in, in, in those two leagues. Major League Baseball is facing the prospect of an entire season without any fans, so that's obviously going to hurt the owners. And they're trying to essentially come up with an agreement with the players. They've already agreed to the players have to accept a prorated salary. Uh, so if they play half the games, receive half their their salary. But that deal was cut with the understanding that there would be fans in the stands. So, so at this moment, the owners are essentially trying to play as few games as possible while getting players to take a lower cut of, uh, of their prorated salary. So in the neighborhood of 80% of their, of their prorated salary, while players are, are saying, you know, we're, we're going to be taking on a health risk here and we want our full prorated salaries and they're trying to get as many games as possible uh, to be able to, to collect as much of their, uh, of their salaries as possible. So uh, right now it's a pretty contentious negotiation. They're going back and forth, uh, kind of volleying uh, undesirable proposals to each other. Uh, and the, the, uh, the MLB commissioner has now uh, threatened to, that they, they, they may not have a season at all while players wow. are, are trying to call that bluff. Um, so it's it's getting pretty nasty there. I, I think that they will eventually come to a conclusion, but but yeah, like I said, it's it's um, it's, it's getting pretty nasty with uh, with the owners and players in Major okay. League Baseball. Okay, a bumpier road back to playing for Major League Baseball. Rob, we talked about the uh, the NBA, or we talked about the uh, Major League Baseball, the NHL. Maybe a big announcement there for hockey next week. What's going on with the NBA and their plan to return to action? I was I was fascinated by the plan for players returning to a training camp in in Florida. There, it sounds like they're almost going on vacation. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it, it's. The NBA has said that they will start their season at the end of July. Uh, they're going to be playing all their games at uh, Disney World in Orlando. The ESPN Wide World of Sports uh, Complex is, has a number of different courts that are broadcast ready. Uh, so that's the plan. They're going to be having uh, players. are going to be at three different hotels uh, in Disney World. I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World, but it's, it's, it's uh, quite a bit. I went as a kid, but I remember it's quite a bit larger uh, than Disneyland, so there's the, yeah. the actual property is just massive. So there, the idea is similar to the NHL, keeping players in a bubble, uh, keeping them in their hotels, and, and allowing them to, to go to uh, to the courts for games. But uh, the, yeah, the, the, a big concern is, is uh, you know how to how to keep the players happy and you know keep them keep them entertained when when they're. Uh, when, when they have free time um, while they're on this. So the NBA has a number of, of, uh, of plans that were reported yesterday, uh, uh, things like bringing in DJs and bringing in, uh, you know, entertainment acts, comedians, musicians, uh, having uh, barbers and manicurists and pedicurists and all sorts of different things. So uh, they've got a lot of big plans uh, for the NBA players down in Orlando. Yeah, they've got golf, fishing, bowling, concerts. I mean, they got everything going on for these NBA players. I mean, I guess they'll be separated from their families and and in the bubble, like you said. So 
hey, I guess that's a bit of a sacrifice, but man, it sounds like those guys will be living it up a little bit in the bubble. So that'll be interesting to see. What's uh, Rob, what happened with the CEO of the Vancouver Whitecaps? He got fired. How come? Yeah, that one caught me by surprise. Uh, Mark Hannes was, was hired in in January, so you know, and because of the pandemic, he only he only got to oversee one home match uh, during that time. Um, he he came to Vancouver with a with a pretty impressive resume. He had uh, worked as an executive with Roma in Italy and and uh, with the New York Knicks in the NBA. Um, and I thought the Whitecaps had done a really good job uh, of staying relevant in the marketplace while there was absolutely no sports going on. The, you know, I'm sure everyone uh, knows about the, uh, the masks that they sold back in April to help uh, save the Vancouver Aquarium. They sold over, you know, you know, generating millions of dollars, uh, um, you know, of, of goodwill money. Um, so, so yeah, it really, it really caught me by surprise. Uh, it, it seems like a really odd decision. You know, now there's whispers of, uh, okay, there must have been a rift between between he and and ownership. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a very a very odd story uh, yesterday. Okay, well, I wonder if that was a a money saving move. Do you think at a time when the corona the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic has probably really punctured their their bottom line and their and their revenues? Do they was they looking to maybe just fire this guy to unload his contract? But I mean, I'm sure he must have had a huge severance uh, to let him go just a few months into a four year contract. So, but is, is that what's the most popular take on this out there? Is this a money thing, or or was there something more to it? Yeah, that crossed my mind, and that was probably my first instinct. You know, they they don't have any tickets to sell now, anyways. So, does it make sense to to pay your top executive, who's you know he? He's responsible for the business side of, of things. He's not responsible for any of the player transactions or any of that uh, sort of thing. Um, but apparently, he had a four-year contract. So, so I don't. I mean, I don't know the inner workings of his uh, of his contract. Whether they actually would save money off of this, but um, you know that would make sense. I mean, I I, I think they'd be if that was in, indeed the case. I think they would be better off just saying like coming out and and saying that rather than. Um, you know, trying to hide hide the fact that, uh, or I don't know about hiding the fact, but you know, not really being transparent. I don't think a lot of people buy that uh, that that they're better off just having all of the responsibilities falling on Axel Schuster, who's now responsible for uh, everything on on the soccer side of things as well as everything on the business side of things. So, yeah, I I, I, th- I think the the prevailing the prevailing wisdom, the most common theory that that I saw from from most of the experts was that there that there must have been some sort of rift between uh, between ownership and and yeah. and their CEO. What is going on with Major League Soccer? Are the Whitecaps back? Are they practicing? Are they playing? What's happening there? Yeah, so the Whitecaps are back. They're back training now uh, as a team. Uh, they they were doing the so, the socially distant training that, that looked a bit funny uh, and, uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, and I guess they're in a, they're in a, it's sort of a weird spot as well as similar to Major League Baseball where they you know they'd only played two games so they they really are trying to to figure things out they're they're going to have a a tournament so it's not a tournament for the MLS championship but it's it's going to be a tournament down in Orlando at, at, in Disney World uh, near nearby the NBA players 
they're going to be having a, a, a tournament that's going to be like a World Cup style tournament. So there's going to be a group stage with matches and then they'll have a, a, a knockout rounds uh, to decide a champion. Uh, there's going to be money at stake for the players in that tournament. There's also going to be a spot on the line for the uh, CONCACAF Champions League that uh, the winning team uh, will earn. Uh, and, and I think that that's going to generate a, a little bit of buzz. Of course, no crowds um, right. for will be watching it live, uh, but it, they should get a, a, a big boost in their in their television uh, audience, as it'll be you know really the the first team sport in North America uh, back playing. Um, and then Major League Soccer, they're still saying they want to they want to play games. Um, in home stadiums. So they're, you know, the Whitecaps are still hopeful to, to, to have matches at BC place and, uh, and maybe even with fans in attendance. I mean, it, BC place is such a huge stadium uh, that, that has many more seats than they need for the average, uh, the average match. So who knows, maybe they'll be able to, to slide a few people into the stadium for, for matches yet. But I think that's far from the guarantee. Rob, there's lots going on in the wide world of sports here, even though the players aren't on the field largely, but uh, lots to look forward to as well. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. All right. That's Rob Williams. He's a sports editor at the Daily Hive.